Welcome to the Debit This, Credit That podcast with Wheeler Accountants located in San Jose, California. In this podcast, we discuss how to solve accounting challenges in both your personal life and your business. We take an energetic, tech-savvy approach to solving accounting challenges that steal your focus and your time. Now, on to the show with your tech-savvy accounting experts, Matt Wheeler and Michael Bryant. Today, we're going to talk about the ASU Accounting Standards Update 2016-14 that was released in August from the Financial Accounting Standards Board, and we're going to talk about the five key changes. So, all right, Michael, let's just dive right into this. Let's start where you want to start. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. Um, You know, I think that this is really important. This uh, ASU came out in August. Uh, We're going to have a little bit of time to implement it. And so I wanted to go over the five key changes um, that will be affecting our nonprofits and and the way that they're reporting uh, going forward. So let's dive into it. Uh, Net asset classes. Mm -hmm. So we have typically had three net asset classes. We have um, unrestricted net assets, temporarily restricted net assets, and permanently restricted net assets. So one of the key changes is that we're actually now only going to have two net asset classes. We'll have uh, without donor restrictions, and that will include board restricted and then we'll have with donor restrictions. So this will include uh, perpetual and temporary restrictions that are all donor restricted. And this is really done to just make it more clear that the restrictions are really intended by the donor and not any uh, board or management decisions. Okay. Um, There will also be some additional disclosure requirements that go along with the net asset classes. So the composition of the net assets, so uh, what makes up each one of those classes, how and when the resources can be used. So what's the specified purpose? What's the specified time? And is it actual perpetual? So uh, used to be referred to as permanently restricted. Um, There's also going to be more disclosures around the underwater endowment funds. So during the downturn in the economy, a lot of our nonprofits saw um, underwater endowment funds and the the disclosures weren't clear or the requirements weren't clear on how those would be disclosed. So uh, we saw a lot of different forms of how that was being disclosed. So now um, for underwater endowment Uh, there will be fair value, the original gift amount, and the amount of deficiency noted. Okay, so let's move now to investment returns. That was another one of the big key changes. So absolutely, investment returns. Now we can actually net the uh, investment expenses against the investment returns um, before we had to break those out separately. Um, And we can also include the external and the internal expenses. It also removes that requirement that we had to disclose the gross investment income. So pretty simple changes on the investment. All right. All right. Well, it looks like this next one here, uh, the liquidity and availability of resources, that seems to be a little bit more in depth. So let's dive in. Yeah, absolutely. So there's going to be a qualitative and quantitative information about the liquidity and um, availability of resources. And this really came about because 
when you look at the financial statements of a nonprofit, uh, grantors and, and other readers of the financial statements want to understand where where is this nonprofit? Are, are they um, well-funded? Are they going to be around in a year or two? Um, and just really understanding where their, their sources of funds are coming in and how much of those funds are actually available to be used in the next year. Um, so in the footnotes, the organization um, will, will state the liquid resources available to meet the, the general expenditures within one year. Um, and so this would exclude any types of grants that they've received that are multi-year grants. Um, and this will make it much more clear on, on what the, the liquid assets are available to the nonprofit. Um, on the quantitative side, on the face of the financial statements or in the notes, we'll need to disclose the nature of the assets, uh, any external limits imposed. So whether that's due to donor um, limits or laws or contracts with others, and then any internal limits. So those, those board designated funds, um, what are those board decisions and how are those funds gonna be used um, based on those board restrictions? Well, let's talk now about the presentation of operating cash flows. What were the changes there? So um, one thing that is not changing is that we can use the direct or indirect method. They both are acceptable. Um, if we use the direct method, then it's no longer required to show the indirect reconciliation. They're trying to simplify the, the cash flow. I think that that's one of the things that a lot of the readers of the financial statements struggle with is understanding the cash flow. And the cash flow is intended to provide a lot of information about where the cash is going in the organization. Um, there is going to be a phase two to this that will be implemented at a later point, and that will be some reclassifications between the types of activities, so um, different breakout of operating, investing, and financing, and then the alignment of the statement of uh, cash flows with the statement of activities. So stay tuned for those because those are still coming. Yeah, so we don't have a firm date on phase two? No, we do not. Okay. So finally, out of the five key changes, so we've, we've, we started with net asset classes. That was number one. Number two of the key changes was investment returns. Three, the liquidity and availability of resources. Number four, presentation of operating cash flows. And the final one is expenses. So, so break that down for us, Michael. Yeah, so um, expenses, what we're going to see changing is that there will be um, an analysis of expenses by functional and nature in one location. And that location could be in the statement of activities. It could be in the statement of functional expenses or notes. For our nonprofit clients, we've typically done a statement of, of functional expenses, and that was an optional statement. Um, but now it will be required, but it can be presented in the statement of activities or statement of functional expenses or the notes. Um, included in the disclosures is going to be a description of the method used to allocate costs. So um, the, the largest cost in most nonprofits that is allocated is salaries. And so it's really important for the readers of the financial statements to understand how those allocations were derived. Um, because you could be comparing two nonprofits and one might have 
90 cents of every dollar going to program and the other one might have 75 percent going to program mm -hmm. um, but not understanding their allocations will have a big variation and you might not be comparing apples to apples all right um, there will also be some improved guidance on the management and general expenses. So what are going to actually fall into the categories? And so we've been reviewing this and there will be some fine tuning with our nonprofit clients for what is actually ending up in the management and general buckets and uh, direct conduct and then direct supervision will be a uh, part of that. At the beginning of the podcast, you said that people had some time, uh, the not-for-profit organizations and nonprofit organizations had time to implement this. Let's talk about the effective date in implementation. Yeah, absolutely. The effective date is going to be for fiscal years beginning after 12, 15, 17. So practically speaking, that means for those calendar year ends, that will be for 12, 31, 18. And for those fiscal year ends, um, that would be fiscal year ending 2019. For example, if you are a June 30th year end, um, this would be effective for you for June 30th, 2019. Well, let's just wrap this up today by talking about the difficulty of implementation with this. So um, is this going to be difficult for not-for-profit financial reporting, or is this, is this a pretty uh, cut-and-dry change that, that the, uh, the ASU accounting standards made? You know, it, it's going to be um, a big change for the way that things are reported. There's going to be more clarity in the disclosures. Um, I think that the they've done a really good job of kind of streamlining the changes, actually simplifying the cash flow, which is very nice, um, and and that the readers of the financial statements will be able to to um, understand and be able to compare nonprofits on a more equal basis. So I'm actually looking forward to these changes and I'm looking forward to working with my clients on, on getting um, those implemented before the effective date. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your thought leadership on this. This was good. And I think that when people see changes, especially changes like the ones that we just discussed today, it can be overwhelming. And Michael, I think you did a great job of explaining to your listeners and, and our listeners in the audience uh, really how they can attack this and what they need to look for. So thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you. And this has been Matt Halloran, joined as always by Michael Bryant, the audit partner of Wheeler Accounting. And I hope you have a wonderful day.